Hello and welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast, your home for Irish folklore, mythology and all things storytelling. Hello everyone, you are almost assuredly welcome to episode 75 of the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. I am, of course, Paddy Holly, and I am joined by the marvellous, the splendiferous, the phantasmagorical uh, Sarah. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm doing really well. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm not too bad, not too bad at all. And uh, Sarah, you're one of our newest storytellers. Yes. Yeah, and how's the training going? It's going really well. Um, I'm really overwhelmed by the amount of reading, but I'm making my way through it. Uh-huh. I didn't know the mythology as well as I would like to have, but now I'm I'm confident in my abilities to tell it. Yeah, there is a... There's, well, we get that sanitised version of Irish myth and legend in school. Yes. But that is just like... One uh, percent of uh, everything that's out there. Yes, and it's it really, uh, really and truly, the kids are getting a sanitized version of everything as well. You know, mm. they they leaves out some of the some of the great uh, uh, more adult details like. Uh, uh, polyamory and yeah and uh, we try to not traumatize children uh, on the daily as they go to school they have enough yes, of that yes yes but still some of the some of the kids stories can be dark enough um, like the like uh, the Coo Cullen and the giant hound I'm sure that gave a few kids uh, uh, nightmares in its in its day oh for me it was the children of Lear I used to ball my eyes out when it came to the end and they all died I thought it was so unfair (laughs) I I was like what do you mean could I because I had this idea that one day I might be a saint you know Catholic Ireland you know this is is what this was and uh, I thought oh my god am I going to die now too if I became a swan and then a saint so yeah I got very in my head about that but thankfully Mm. this story uh, doesn't have anything like that no no Um, so do you think beauty is in the eye of the beholder um after seeing enough of the fellas and women that my friends have brought back, I definitely <laughs> think yes. Uh, questionable choices over the years have been made and I've had to say, mm. aren't they gorgeous? And have thought, oh my God, I wouldn't touch them with a 20-foot pole. Yeah. But yeah, I would say so. And I, I think it's a good thing too. Otherwise, there'd be no hope for anyone. That's 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 very true. But do you think that there's a, there's a class of people out there that are just objectively good looking? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. I think Irish people uh, don't have that. But uh, that's, I, I do think there's a lot of people out there that are stunning and yeah. you stop in the street to look at them. And, uh, yeah, we don't get much of that in Ireland. I don't know, was that the was that the, <laughs> the inbreeding or the potatoes? <laughs> well, that's uh, why our sense of humour is great. You know, it makes yeah. up for our faces. <laughs> yeah, the, and of course people find the accent. Now, yeah. Though listening back to this podcast uh, some days, I wonder <laughs> <laughs> how anyone would think. But we're all as as a as a previous uh, holder of my position uh, used to say, everyone is exotic uh, mm. somewhere. Mm, exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, tell us a little bit about the the story we're going to hear today. Um, my Dernatain from uh, Nisha Odin. So basically, the story is about how a a fairy woman, Atain, comes into becoming the High Queen of Ireland, and how her former lover. Uh, Mider has to go back and uh, seek her and, and uh, 
bring her back to the fairy world um, because she ended up in the real world through um, very jealous circumstances with uh, Mider's first wife. And yeah, foam knocker, fuming foam knocker, as as, uh, as she's sometimes described. And uh, Etain, said to be the most beautiful uh, Irish woman who has has ever lived. Um, although although there are some uh, women these days who might uh, claim the case, uh, and that kind of that kind of beauty was very much appreciated by the the two Hadedan and mm. the people that this uh, story is mostly about. Mm. We often think of the Fomorians, uh, the giants as being uh, ugly or um, disfigured in some way or different shapes or like in Balor with the with the hideous eyes. But the, the two Hadedan are described as loving uh, beauty and uh, intelligence and art and culture. And the Fomorians are, are, are described as uh, in, enjoying the um, the delights of the body. We'll, we'll, we'll say it like that, mm. although I have no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who do you, in, a, in a story like that, uh, Sarah, who, who actually do you uh, associate most with? What character, what types of characters uh, do you... Uh, empathise with the most well I suppose obviously attain because I do be there with my jade roller in the morning trying to <laughs> de-bloat my face because you know I have to expose the under beauty that's hidden under the bloat no I I, do, <laughs> I joke I joke um, I suppose yucky actually the oh, right, idea yeah, that yeah. um you know, you have this, you, you have somebody or something in your life and someone just arrives and, and claims, well, actually, no, they're mine or that's mine. And mm. uh, that they feel they have a greater right to this person or possession um, than you do. And how you were going through life, you know, steady. And then this kind of wave comes in and knocks you off your feet and uh, makes you doubt, you know, uh, your relationship in the first place. And I think that could be a metaphor for so many things. Yes, d- definitely. Um, and I know that sometimes it's very, very human, the, the story, in the sense that um, often when people are in, a, in a, a relationship again, just after a breakup or uh, when uh, people are in their, their second marriage, you know, they're, mm. they're, they're thinking, will we ever be as will we ever be as close yep. as as the first marriage or the first uh, relationship mm-hmm. or does that does my beloved have still have feelings for that uh, for that other person that uh, I will never be able to live up to? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well uh, let's not uh, beat around the bush any further. Uh, here comes Nisha Din with Mider and Attain. While I'm not exactly here to explicitly advocate for polygamy, I've learned one thing in my many, many years. And that is, if you're going to do polygamy, you better make sure all parties are on the same level. One person who did not do this was Medir. He was a powerful fairy king, one of the two of the Danon, who ruled out of the fairy hill of Bree Lee and Longford, alongside his wife, 
Fumanak. Fumanak was his equal in every way, a powerful sorceress raised by the druid Bressel. She knew strong and ancient magics. And one day, Medir returned to Breeley with a woman in tow. Now this was Aideen, the most beautiful woman in Ireland. Medir's foster son, Angus the Young, had won Etain's hand for his foster father, and he brought this new wife back with him to his home and introduced her to his first wife, Fuminach. Now, I would be lying if I said that this wasn't normal back in the day. Most kings in Ireland felt they were entitled to at least two wives, but things were strictly codified. The first wife was the primary wife. She had say of how the household was run. The second wife was basically just her servant. And Fuminok, despite the shock of Adine's arrival, felt that she could take it as long as this new wife knew her place. Which obviously she didn't. Adine was a princess. She was used to the finest things and money could buy. And when she arrived at Breeley, she made herself well and truly at home, marching into the central hall and taking the central seat. Fuminok's seat. As soon as Fuminok saw this, she flew into a rage. She drew out her magical wand made from the rowan tree and struck Adine on the head. And Adine felt herself melting away until she was reduced to nothing but a puddle of water on the ground. And Fuminok, feeling her revenge complete, vanished. But that wasn't the end for Adine. Because from that puddle of water, there came a fly. This fly was beautiful purple and lilac in colour. Its wings shone like shimmering gold. And as it flapped its wings, the most beautiful scents and sounds had spread out from the fly. And at that moment... The door to the fairy hill of Breeley burst open. A gust of wind drew Etain out, up into the sky. She was blown around, buffeted by the winds, torn by the storms for almost a thousand years, when finally the storm died down. Etain found herself hurtling back to earth, straight through the window of a castle, where she landed into a goblet of wine, about to be drunk by the queen of that castle. And as soon as the wine was drunk, the queen turned to her husband, tear and said, I am with child. Because for those who don't know, back in ancient Ireland, the only way you could conceive a child was by swallowing a small creature or object, as it is to this very day, according to my mother. Years passed, and as the girl grew older and older, she became just as beautiful as she had been in her past life. The only name they could think to name their daughter was Adine. And she grew up to catch the eye of every man in Ireland, including one man in particular, King Yachi Aram. Now, King Yachi was the High King of all Ireland. He had just been declared High King and ran into a small stag. When you became king, you were meant to throw a big, massive feast in Tara, a proper party. And he sent out the invitations, and nobody sent back a reply. When he asked why nobody was coming to his feast, he was told by his men that the High King of Ireland was expected to have a wife. There could be no king without a queen. And so he searched far and wide for the most beautiful woman. 
as only the most beautiful woman would do for Yachi. And he found her, a bit further north in Ulster, coming upon a tear's fort. He saw her bathing in the woods. Her skin was as soft and white as the first snowdrop in spring, hyacinth blue her eyes and ivory white her teeth. He proposed marriage, and she agreed. The bride price was paid, and they went to ta- back home to Tara. And at the wedding festival, the king's brother, Alil, caught Atain's eye. Or rather, she caught his. He couldn't take his eyes off her. She was stunning. He felt this longing in his heart. And as he felt that longing for his own brother's wife, it was replaced with equal parts disgust. He went to his bed and did not leave that bed for a year and a day. He started wasting away. He had been a proud warrior in the prime of his life and now he was reduced to a sickly man, not long for this world at all. This upset his brother greatly. And so when King Yaki Arav decided to do a tour around Ireland, he left the Dane strict instructions to take care of his brother and make sure that she did everything in her power to help cure him. And so she did. Atain ministered to Alil's every little want and need, and just being in her presence seemed to make him feel better. As the days went by, he regained his strength, he regained his complexion, he'd been so pale, almost green, and now he looked almost healthy again. And so he revealed the cause of his illness. Atain, he said, I have loved you from the moment I have seen you. Please, there is an aching pain in my heart, and the only way I can cure it is if you and I lie together this night. And Atain didn't know what to do at first. But then she remembered her husband's words, to do everything in her power to cure his brother. Well, she said, I would not defile my husband's house. I will meet you this night to cure you, but not here. Come with me to the woods near Tara. And Alil was very excited, let's face it, folks. You don't get that opportunity every day. In fact, he stayed up all night waiting for the appointed hour to meet her. And wouldn't you know it, just before that hour came, sleep overcame him. But Atain went to the meeting, and Atain... Now she met someone there. At first she was convinced it was Alil, but as she drew closer, he seemed to change before her eyes, suddenly taller, his dark chestnut hair becoming shimmering gold, his lustrous brown eyes becoming the colour of grey. And a smile curled upon this man's lips. Why have you come? she said. I have come to meet my, my brother-in-law Alil. Who are you? You know me, he said. You've known me for many years, and I've been searching for you for a millennia. I am Medir, and you, Etain, are my wife. You may not remember it now, but I remember a time when you were not Etain, daughter of Etair. You were Etain, daughter of Alil of the horses. You were my wife then, and I would have you my wife now. Leave, King Yahi, return to me to the land of youth, where it is always summer, where the smell of honeysuckle will fill your nostrils, where the sweetest music will lull you to sleep, 
where you'll never grow old and never feel pain and never die. But she wasn't going to give up everything she had. She was the High Queen of Ireland married to the High King. And who was this? Some guy claiming to be a fairy from another world. But there was something deep inside of her that believed what he said was true, or at least he thought it was true. If what you say is the truth, she said after a long while, then you will prove it to me. You will win my hand for my husband, for I will not abandon the king for a man with no name and no title. And so she departed. The next morning, Alil woke as healthy as ever. And it was as if any affection he had for Adain was a mere memory. Yachi returned from his tour of Ireland, and no sooner had he returned than he met a stranger while he was out walking around Tara one day. With blonde golden hair, grey eyes, and a curling smile on his lips. He offered Yaki to play a game, knowing that Yaki was a big fan of the game of Fitchell or chess. And he wasn't just a big fan of chess. Yaki was a secret gambling addict. He agreed to play a game only if there was a wager. What shall the wager be? said Madeir. Well, said Yaki, I don't much mind as long as there's a wager involved. And Madeir smiled. Well, how about this? Whoever wins gets to ask whatever they want of the loser. And amazingly, Yaki won. And he made extravagant demands. He asked for 12 plains in Ireland to be cleared of stones. He asked for three forests to be cleared. And he asked for a bridge to be built across the largest bog in Ireland. And yet this was no trouble to Madeir. As one of the ancient immortals of Ireland, he accomplished this and more in only a single night. He'd only had one stipulation, that nothing he did be observed. And yet you can't tell a king what he can't and can't do. He'd secretly sent one of his servants to spy on Madeir and his people as they'd built the causeway, cleared the plains and cut down the woods. And the next morning when Madeir returned, he had the eye of fury in his head. You are an un. Gracious host, you have cheated me and humiliated me, said Medir. I had one condition and you cannot honour that. And Yaki shrank back. I meant no disrespect, for he knew that the wrath of the she could be great. Never mind then, said Medir. But let us play one more game. And it was as if Yaki was facing a different opponent. Medir won the game within a few rounds, and he had only one simple demand to embrace Sadine in his arms and give her a kiss on the lips. Yaki couldn't refuse after what he demanded. So he agreed, but he asked for a month to prepare. And prepare he did. He summoned all his warriors and the greatest heroes of Ireland. They surrounded Tara for a mile around, prepared to repel any invader. And when the appointed time came, Madeir appeared amongst them. I've come to claim my prize he said. It is yours, said Yaki, and he gestured for Atain to walk towards him. She got off her throne beside her husband, the king, went to Medir, looked him in his deep, grey eyes. He took her gently in his arms and pressed his lips against hers. And as they kissed, a whole lifetime of memories came flooding back to her. She remembered 
being the fly. She remembered being buffeted by the wind. She remembered Fuminok. She remembered Medir. She saw her husband standing in front of her and she smiled. They kissed once again and as they did, they floated up towards the skylight. Turning into two swans, the last anyone ever saw of them, was as they made their way home to Brie And as far as I know, they've been in there ever since. Ah, it is a lovely story now, I have to say. Paddy, would you consider yourself a romantic? Oh, definitely. I love I love it all. I love the the candlelit dinners. <laughs> I like uh, walking in the rain holding hands. On the beach. Yeah. <laughs> I like trips to Paris and the whole shebang. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm usually, uh, I, I'm also fond of a drink, Sarah. So <laughs> I'm not sure if the two things, uh, if the two things are, are linked. I am, of course, uh, a married man. And, uh, and 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 frankly, because they don't listen to the podcast, I'm fairly safe. <laughs> <laughs> so you won't tell them that the roses and the drink would be a perfect combination. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> an old bottle of champagne, trip to Paris would be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you? Do you uh, are you uh, romantic? I suppose I would consider I would uh, I consider it quite cringy, but I really love it when it's done but I'll, yeah. I'll take it very begrudgingly and yeah. won't say thank you but I'll be very happy but yeah yeah one romantic thing that I really don't like is the uh the guys that propose to their um girlfriends uh underneath the Christmas lights on Grafton Street I've never seen it I've seen it a few times oh, and I'm like, no. oh no 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 or flash mobs that'd yeah. be my worst oh, nightmare yeah <laughs> Don't, don't, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. Yeah. No, anything in public. If I was getting engaged, remote, on a hill somewhere, I think that's what I'd like. Would you be okay with being uh, wife number two or or husband number two? No, no, no. No. Absolutely not. (laughs) I'm Uh, way too competitive for that. (laughs) uh, (laughs) And uh, does that mean then when Mider turns up with Etain, you can kind of understand uh, Fulmnuk's... Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't be too pleased myself. Um, I feel like that would be your fella coming back from with a, a young one from the nightclub and he's gotten the shift and he thinks she's the bee's knees. So, uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't be. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be pleased with that myself. It's interesting, though, how, um, you know, they did hold uh, that second position there and she would be the, the first wife's kind of handmaiden, I suppose. What would you call her? Yeah, I think that handmaiden is a good word. Yeah, but it's not a... It's not something I would personally like. But she's not... Etienne is never really described as being very um, uh, intelligent in the way that Fulnock is described as Mm. being the daughter of a druid educated in magic. Uh, Etienne is just very, very beautiful. I I don't know, is it a prejudice I have against (laughs) incredibly good-looking people? Uh, But sometimes I think, what had Etienne going on in her head like? Yeah, coming back into this kind of environment and knowing that she was about to be facing the powerhouse that was Fuminok. 
yeah yeah and then there's the there's the scene later on where the her husband has told her to look after uh, his brother oh. and do any every anything that he asks of her so naturally it occurs to her well he did ask me to look after him <laughs> so i suppose i should look after him but the best part of that for me is it reminds me of when you're a teenager and the person that you like or the person that you don't like and they really like you and they say to you, I I feel I, I hate my life unless you kiss me. I hate oh, my life unless yeah. you're going to hold my hand or we go to the Debs together. And then um, you feel pressured into, you know, <laughs> being with them for a few hours. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of that kind of setup. <laughs> it does a bit, doesn't it? Oh, lads. And the uh, the falling asleep, mm. <laughs> just before a date. I'm not saying I've never done it. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, maybe there was a time uh, where I had uh, a couple of drinks for for courage and may have <laughs> drifted off and missed the entire thing. I suppose uh, open relationships or having more than one spouse, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I wouldn't judge it. I think, it, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, it should be allowed in the law if mm-hmm. if if people really uh, want it. And, and there's, of course, some religious groups in the United States for whom it is uh, perfectly, uh, perfectly normal. Mm-hmm. Don't knock it till you've tried it. And then the... Sometimes I do ask, I ask people this uh, a lot of the time. When they picture the the scene where Mider comes calling, looking for uh, Etain, what do they picture? What kind of a, a setup do you think Ockierm would have had? What's What does the culture of the time look like in your head? Oh, gosh. Um I imagine they're well. I imagine Yucky's fort is very much this wooden pillars and uh, a lot of like golds and purples. Funny enough, they're the colours that I see. And then the the landscape. There's always a mist, but I think that kind of yeah. comes with anything to do with you know talking mythology or fairies. There's always a mist present. Um, and when Mider appears, he's this shadowy figure that mm. the mist kind of gathers together to to form his shape. Oh wow, that's that's that, that's brilliant because sometimes I find that depictions of this story use very anachronistic imagery. Mm. They use like uh, castles and, yeah. and crowns and everything that really don't fit the Irish context at, at yeah. that time. Uh, so that was that was I think that was spot on, Sarah. Really. No, I can smell it. I can smell the. Do you know the smell of like um damp soil or yes. uh, or wet grass and the first thing in the morning, yes. that kind of a thing. Particularly when she goes into the forest looking for him, um and I don't know whether it, you know that's because you know I grew up in the countryside, so I have a very clear mm. understanding of uh, the natural environment and mm. this the scents and sounds of it. That maybe if you grew up in urban Dublin, the smell of pollution in the city doesn't you know entice yeah. the imagination as much. But yeah, yeah, and the uh, and the conception from a drink. That was very that that's very interesting the the, yeah. the the swallowing of the swallowing of the fly in order to conceive. Yeah. I wonder does that say something about um how we understood conception in in the past? Hmm. You know, often people that um read like classical literature, they often say god these people had no idea how babies came to be. 
That's true. That's well, true. I, but I think there's many a cyclist that's uh, thankful that all the flies that have gone into their mouth yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have just done that and nothing else. <laughs> not, not created a baby inside of them. Yeah. 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 Because uh, as well, like uh, even much later, there's the there's the story of um, uh, Marie Antoinette and Louis the Sixteenth, where Marie Antoinette's uh, brother. Uh, had to come to the court in Paris basically to explain to the two of them how babies were made. Oh, yes. I've yeah. heard this. Yeah, that they struggled to conceive. Yeah. yeah. So I, 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 do, I do wonder, that, uh, was that <laughs> was the, the fly into the mouth quickening the womb? I of... suppose, it, you know, it was considered maybe a, a miracle and, you know, it is still a wonderful thing that can happen is, um, you know, being able to conceive a child. So I suppose it was taken, if you think about even fertility practices and fertility stones and all of these procedures that would have been in place, um, it, I suppose it does reflect that they wouldn't have had a, as clear an understanding of it, that it was a supernatural force that maybe intervened to allow it to take place. And of course, culturally, uh, for both the, the male and the female in, in the relationship or for Attar, the warrior, if he can father a child, or if she can't uh, have a, you know, uh, give birth to a child, then that's going to undermine their their position in the community. Mm, mm, so the, the whole barren womb thing. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, and there's going to be a whole uh, political uh, dynamic yeah. to it. Uh, the possibly my favorite thing about the story is that it features uh, gambling over chess mm. over a chess match. Um, they, now schools up and down the country have a chess club mm-hmm. but the chess they're playing here isn't modern chess is it no no the, yeah no I think um, the chess I remember playing an old game and it had little it had little symbols on it but I don't know if that's it or if that's very vikingy the fitchel the yeah. Fitchel. Yeah. yeah the ancient Irish chess they're still not quite sure how it was played they've made all, all kinds of guesses as to the as to the the rules of it and how it was played, but other than we know uh, vaguely what it looked like and that it's called Fitchel, they aren't quite sure yet. Yes, and you wonder if like they could rename the the positions of each of the the characters of each of like the king, queen, bishop, what it would have sounded like in you know Gaelic Ireland, what yeah. those positions would have been. Yeah, because it says a lot about what a community thinks is the is the is the most important people mm-hmm. uh there do you do you like a flutter do you um a flutter you know an old bet on the ho- on the ggs Jeez. Uh, i i um i'm an awful one for being like i bet you this will happen and i'll put 20 euro down and you'll never <laughs> see it you'll yeah. never, i'm always wrong because i'm always doing it because i think i'm right um no i wouldn't be a big gambler uh myself but uh mm. i do know people that can't resist can't yeah. resist an old spicy bet. Yeah, the I the only time of year I in, uh, I enjoy it is for the uh, for the list all races. Oh uh, yeah, uh, and uh, basically, basically it's just tradition. I suppose mm. I've been doing it for for years, and usually by the time the next year comes around, I've forgotten everything I I knew yeah. about horses from the year before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, uh, five to one odds is that good? No, no. What? <laughs> or like a Cheltenham or something. It's the hundred to one that I might maybe put something down on because two years in a row the hundred to one 
one. Yeah, because yeah, the Grand National has so many horses in it that anyone could win. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. So it is. A lot of people do that. They think that that's that's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. But should a man be betting his wife? I mean, that would suggest that the wife is property. So uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, that's but true. If if your partner is annoying you so much, you know, I would understand. I would sympathize in some cases. Yeah. yeah. I like how there's a build up as well. It's like now I want the roads fixed and yeah. <laughs> I want a new wall, uh, paint the shed for me, <laughs> fix my bicycle. Maybe that's what the council is doing now. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and then, yeah, now I want your wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they keep losing. That's why there's loads of potholes everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it says a lot about the relationship between the fairies and the people in mm. this story as well. Yes. Uh, you could argue, I suppose, that he bets his wife because he's he's afraid or scared of Mitre is the is yeah. the foster father of Angus Og who mm-hmm. um keeps uh, Newgrange or, or Bruna Boyne, mm-hmm. the so called god of love in ancient Ireland, uh, and possibly one of the most important figures in our mythology, Angus Og is calls um, Mider father. So I imagine it would be quite would be quite frightening. Yeah, you can definitely sense the respect that is there, the mm. awe that is there. I think even when you imagine the story in your head, you know, Mider and Etienne, they're very different visually than how Yaki looks. Yes. And um, you can nearly feel that he's trying to exploit Mider's abilities so that he'd be able to do everything in his land and get it sorted. Um, yeah, no, you can definitely feel the difference between both of them and how they coincide together, that when one merges into the other, it's an exploitative relationship. Yes, definitely. And, of course, uh, in the sometimes in the postscript of this story is uh, the scene about um, Yucky regretting giving up his wife mm. and uh, making war on the two Dalin for another uh, seven years driving them even further under the ground mm-hmm. where of course they then begin to transform into the into the fairy creatures that we uh, know and love mm-hmm. today uh, but yeah the the respect is there and this i story represents that moment when uh, the fairies have already been defeated by the time oki rules from uh, oki rules from tara but um, they haven't quite given up the given up the ghost yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but after after Mitre and Attain, then you get the sense that this is the the end of their culture. Yes, yes. And I read in another version that there's a he goes over to the fairy world, and he sometimes tries to to get her back, and he has to go through a whole lot of challenges for this, and he's to try and spot her out of a, a crowd of fifty other women that look exactly like her. Um, and again, it's just this relationship that the fairies have this uh, ability to duplicate and to, to, to affect your psychology and your emotions, which we do see mm. happening in other stories as well. And then I often thought, you know, how would someone recognize me if I was an imposter, uh, you know, or uh, what would I do? I think it'd be if I turned up on time for something, you'd know that wasn't Sarah. <laughs> it's actually another person and in we, my form. And, and you still see that in sci-fi as well yeah. with, the, you know, where like... This this character is not uh, who you think it is, and you have to think to yourself, uh, 
what did we do in 2006 yeah. Under, yeah. The, under the bridge together? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought with my partner, he's a, a deviated septum. So oh, if right. he was, if the imposter was breathing comfortably with their mouth closed, I would know <laughs> <laughs> that they are an alien or a fairy in this world. <laughs> uh, just a, a few uh, last words about uh, what this says about it's important to say about what this says about women in Ir- in, mm. in ancient Ireland that they are for the king's uh, yes. property property to be traded mm-hmm. uh, but the story also shows remarkable agency for her yes um, she at the end of the day makes decisions to go to meet um, we meet with Mitre in the forest thinking it's the brother-in-law she again makes decisions to go with him um, and even with Fuminok she's the one that uses her power to cast her out um, and Mitre has no choice about that because she's already doing it you know against his will I suppose um, so even though they are a property um, and even though they are subject to the, the laws that um, align them with marriage and with power, they themselves have very clear wants and desires and likes and boundaries. And mm-hmm. I think this is a story that portrays all of those. Yeah. And I think I can't think of a better place uh, to finish that. Um, my I was uh, obviously uh, Paddy Holly and I was joined by the fabulous uh, Sarah, uh, thank you for joining me today. Uh, say bye, Sarah. Bye. Good to good to be here. Can't wait to be back. And you were very good listeners. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Remember, the best way to support us is by liking, subscribing, and sharing with a friend.